You're listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tanil. Tanil, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Hello, today we chat with Sammy Kennedy-Sin. She's a dual Olympian who competed in the Sochi and Pyeongchang Games and is currently in training for the 2022 Beijing Olympics. She's had five top 10 World Cup results and a personal best of World Cup ranking of 11th. We talk about how she made the switch from Alpine to Ski Cross how to train to be an Olympian and get insider knowledge on the best way to utilise the resources that are offered to all athletes. She's inspirational, determined, community-minded and a great spokeswoman for the sport we love, skiing. Welcome, Sammy. Hey, Sammy. How are you going? Really, really great. Thank you. How are you? Yes, good in lovely steaming Sydney. Where are you right now? I am coming to you live from Leogang, Austria, which is a couple of hours from Munich and about an hour from Salzburg. Awesome. So jealous. So jealous right now. So Sammy, I love watching ski cross. It's one of my favorite things to watch. There's so many skills that are involved in ski across. Um, so tell us, take us back to the beginning. Where did it start? You weren't originally a ski crosser, were you? You're Alpine. So yeah. That, that's right. So I grew up, um, I'm the youngest of three girls and I'm about 10 years younger than my siblings. So for me, my introduction to skiing was kind of like learning how to ride a bike or learning how to swim. It sort of just happened and I'm in some ways kind of thankful that I don't remember it <laughs> because now skiing's just second nature. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier the better. Um, and, yeah, I was enrolled into the race club at Mount Buller when I was really little because my sisters were doing it and I just kind of kept showing up every winter for for this community and um I guess for my parents, the opportunity for them to go skiing with us and also to have the knowledge that we were safe on the mountain on our own. Um, Some people probably refer to it when you're that young as babysitting service, but you come out of it with a lot of skills too. So it was sort of a little more comprehensive than just going into a regular ski school program. Um, And yeah, I raced Alpine until I was about 18 years old, but I never really, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. I think I had quite a lot of potential now reflecting back on how far I've come now that I'm 33. I I sort of look back and go, oh, you know, if only I'd applied myself better here or done something there. Um, But I sort of fell into this sport of ski cross, which was really new. Um, We did some fun races in Perisher and Threadbow um, where when I was about 18 years old and then there was chatter of it going to the Olympic Games in 2010. And I decided in 2009 to give it a red hot crack. Um, and so for me, I sort of see it as this savior of my career that never really was in Alpine. Um, back then, the transition from Alpine racing, which comprises uh, traditionally four disciplines, so slalom, GS, downhill and super G, mm-hmm. um, ski cross kind of takes all of these elements plus a little bit of BMX racing, if you will, yes, and uh, yes. it just kind of changes the game a bit. So for me, I loved the idea that that you could race against your competitor, not against a clock. Do you think it gave you more direction in your thirst for success because you had someone right against you? I think it was. I think it was um, something that I had issues with, or that I found challenging when I was a a youth athlete, um, and I use that term pretty loosely. Uh, I 
I didn't like, and again, this is upon reflection, I don't like that I was always trying to validate my performance, whether that was my actual performance on snow or my happiness or how I felt about my skiing based on a clock. Like you get to the bottom and you look to the clock to kind of validate Mm. where you were and how it went. Mm. And for me in ski cross, you know, you have to remain present the whole run. You're racing against three other people and at X Games, four other people um, or five other people. Mm. And it's it's really easy to know where you stand. You know, if you're in front, you're in front. Yeah. So let's just even take it back to what is ski cross because someone might be listening thinking, what is it? Yeah. So so ski cross is uh, born from alpine skiing and it's a head-to-head race event where up to four competitors compete down a track full of jumps and turns and rollers. And it's sort of an elimination format. So the first two people to cross the finish line of each heat progress through to the next round until there's a final four and you're racing for that podium. So it didn't exist really when I was a kid. Um, Now we have it really ingrained in our kids' race series and kids' education series through ski schools and race clubs in Australia, which is so awesome. Um, But it didn't exist really in Australia or, or even globally until I was about 18 years old. It looks like um, BMX, yeah, it does look like BMX sort of riding with the hills and everything. Like is it is it with the role of the actual mountain or are they kind of constructed like you see them do? So a ski cross course is nature in mind, 100% man-made. Um, mm. So they'll the, a, a course builder will go and build a track that's rarely ever the same. Um, even day to day, it changes based on snow conditions and weather and all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it can be anywhere for us on World Cup. It goes anywhere from 25 seconds for a sprint to like a minute 30. Quite a difference in um, length and, and in terrain and in numbers of features, which is what we call those rolls and jumps and turns and things um so it's sort of like a bit of a guessing game you kind of have to be on your toes all the time and and as you get to the pointy end of competition um you know you have to be really good at remembering the track and and where you're going does it um does it help to when I see people and they get air does air help you or slow you down because I know I used to be a swimmer and it's like the longer you dive in the pool and the longer you could kick underwater the better so what does air do in that way? I mean, this is probably like quite a techie question, but um, if you think about and remembering, you know, I'm a high school dropout. I have a degree in ski racing. <laughs> um, well, that's the best degree to have. <laughs> uh, we, are, we are on high-tech equipment and that equipment is designed to go fast on snow. So you want to limit the time that you're in the air as much as possible. Now, there are circumstances where being in the air a little bit longer will be better in the long run um, because we, instead of just going over a roller, um, sometimes you can't just keep your skis on the the ground. You actually have to go over three rollers and miss one in the middle to make it more faster on the other end. So that it's sort of a rule that you take with a grain of salt. But typically, like, you know, we've got a ski technician here. um, He's like our Formula One pit crew. You know, and he his job is to keep our skis running really fast on the snow. There's nothing you can really do to keep it going in the air. Um, but in saying that, like I said, sometimes there's circumstances where getting a little more air will pay off. You know, in 20 seconds time. Um, so it's quite complicated. It's very yeah. complex. But it, but the coolest thing about it is it's really organic, and everyone approaches it differently. Yeah, yeah. So just on your equipment. I've been looking at a couple of the races because, you know, you get excited, Olympics are coming up, Winter Olympics are coming up. The, the skis seem to have gotten a lot longer 
and a lot no, straighter. No, they're the same. No, same. Okay. Yeah, they're the same. Yeah. Um, so we race we race on Alpine GS skis typically, although yeah. some brands are making a ski cross specific ski now. Um, so Stokely, who I ski with, uh, make a ski cross ski, and the construction's a little bit different to a GS ski. Um, because the rules have changed in alpine skiing to eliminate um, knee injury rate, basically. And for us, we don't have the short, sharp, high-pressure high turns that um, a GS athlete would face, you know, in Solden last weekend, for example. Um, for us, our turns are often more gradual, like more like a super G turn, but we need the ski to be able to move over the rollers and things yeah. like a GS or a slalom ski. So it's sort of a bit of a hybrid. Um, yeah. So I ski on a 185 to a 188 centimetre ski mm. um, and, and then a normal, yeah, it is. I mean, but it's not like in comparison, in comparison to like a regular all mountain ski, like if like my all mountain skis that I have, which are strokely, you know, ski cross ski as well. Um, they're about 175 because they can handle everything. They're super soft. They're not got a nice bit of shape to them, but this ski that I race on is designed for the racing, yeah. um, which is pretty cool. Like, I mean, I can ski them all over the mountain as well. I think that's a really good thing to for our young kids that we always try and get them on their race equipment, um, being able to ski any kind of terrain because yeah. if they can ski any kind of terrain, whether it's bumps and moguls and slush or ice, the, the pristine race environment or training environment that they'll go into will be so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What are early conditions like at the moment in Selden? Were they... Were they- uh, they Solden looked amazing. I watched uh, just the second runs on TV because we were yeah. training in Switzerland uh, oh, in that yeah. morning, um, but it looked fantastic. We've been in Switzerland for the last three weeks uh, training at Susfay Glacier at about 3,500 metres, and right. there's not as much snow as last year, um, <laughs> but it's kind of too early to tell. You know, it yeah. is really the end of October. Anything can happen between now and then. Yeah. Um, and so, like I said, we're in Leogang right now. We've come here just for 10 days of physical training, um, this is a ski resort area that we usually frequent in a normal winter. Um, so we've got some great connections here. We've got some friends here with great gyms. We've, we're staying in the house that we always come and stay in. So it's kind of like coming home. And when you're on the road so long, like I'm not, I'm on the road this year until the 27th of March, um, yeah. it's nice to come back somewhere that's familiar. And we try and do that all the time so that you've got these little stops at home, yeah. homes everywhere. When we've been interviewing all the other Olympians, it's, yeah, if you don't have that home environment around you, it makes it quite hard. Like you can focus a little bit more if you've got some some familiar stuff around you. Yeah, and I think for us, um, I mean, my environment here has changed a lot in the last six months. So I've now got two teammates and I've been pretty used to travelling on my own with my coaching staff and things for the last few years. Yeah. So we've got two young boys on the team, which is really exciting, and they're keeping me young. They're 10 years younger than me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um and it's been awesome, you know, like they've got so much to learn and they're at the beginning of their journey and I'm God knows where in my journey. And it's been really refreshing to have other people around. Obviously it takes the pressure off all of us when normally it would be only three or four of us. It can get quite stressful because you just feel like you're always doing the things. Whereas now as I can go to the gym with the boys and um, you know, we're going to go mountain biking today and we're probably going to go stand up paddleboarding in Zellensee tomorrow because it's nice weather. We're not usually here at this time of year where it's wow. nice weather. So yeah. it's it's really nice. You kind of have to look at your team as your family. You can't choose your family and you can't choose your teammates, but you can choose to make it a really great experience. And we try and do that as best as we can. Bringing it all back for you about Europe, isn't it, Tanil? <laughs> Oh, it's still here it's still here and it is so ready you know they are like 
it, last year, if I if I compare being here for the last month to being over here not for that long last year, um, I was so nervous travelling last year because, you know, we walk around with Australia all over us, we're in a pandemic, how yeah. the locals feel about you bringing potentially some virus into their community. Like I was really, really nervous about that. Um, and then you remember that these areas, especially within skiing and snowboarding, thrive and survive on tourism. So for us, like I said, we go to the regular place. We have the same apartment that we stay in in Switzerland and these people are so happy to see us. Yeah, because they know normality is coming then, hey? And, like- and also that they've been doing a lot of work to the places. Like we drove into Leogang um, a couple of days ago and we are like, oh, my God, there's all of this development and the place is just, it's not booming, but it's, they've, They've rolled up their sleeves during COVID and the buildings are in great shape and they're putting in new ski lifts and they're they're really like sort of took the initiative to make the improvements that perhaps they didn't have time to before. Um, So they're certainly ready and waiting for for the world to come back. That's so good. All I did was clean behind the fridge in the microwave through COVID. Look, I think I I didn't do that, so I think that's a bit true. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have your um your is your husband able to travel with you? Is he rushed away back home? Yeah, Ben is in yeah. Sydney. Um he was in Jindaban for the last few months with me. Um he was lucky he came down to, for work in June and then Sydney got locked down. So he came with a with an overnight bag and stayed for three months in, <laughs> in Jindaban, which is amazing. Um but no, he's back in Sydney. Our plans are that he will join me at Christmas, um, you know, given that no, that the Australian government doesn't backflip on any of the decisions that they're making. Um, we've got tickets booked, so that'll be great. Um, we weren't planning on seeing each other until I got home in March, so to have that all come about has yeah. been really exciting. So where's Christmas? I'm still, like, I'm still yeah. like not that sold that it's going to happen yet, but we'll see. Uh, so we're going to be in Canmore in Calgary area, oh, Alberta, um, in Canada. Love it. Um, yeah, so we, we've got a pretty hectic season for us at the beginning of this season. So in a couple of weeks, I fly to China and then we have another six World Cups after China before Christmas. So that's seven. Wow. Yeah, so it's just bananas. On the, 20, <laughs> on the 22nd, I'll fly to Canada because yeah. our first World Cup after the New Year is in Canada and it's a lot easier for Ben to get to Canada than it is for him to get here. To Europe. Yeah. So I figured I'd just put myself there and then I'm in one spot and, you know, if, you know, I'm probably going to need a bit of a rest, <laughs> an easy place, you know, there's no lingual barrier. Like my German's okay, but, you know, I'd rather be somewhere where I need, if I need something, I can get it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was sort of how that's all happened. Yeah, wow. So, sorry, going back to um, what do you focus on when you're training? I think any winter sport athlete, obviously there are going to be elements um in in winter sports that require more attention than others but I think apart from a cross-country skier all winter sport athletes um, have to train like like holistic athletes we really need to have our toolkits prepared with as much as possible so you know you spoke about force absorption and change of direction um, obviously core stability balance raw strength power drive and then endurance to not only last the event but to last the whole season um, Injury prevention is massive mm. and health and health promotion, I think, is massive. Yeah. Um, for me, I basically go through a normal periodized training program throughout the year, um, but I keep that training up whilst I'm on the road here. So whilst the whilst the focus for me in the last three weeks has been on the skiing side in Sosfe to get time on the track and to get time pra- practicing racing with my competitors, um, of an afternoon you still got to do the things like, you know, you've got to do your interval work or your mobility or your strength training or your power or some speed and agility. So 
this is a really nice 10-day period for me because I can now go back to two sessions a day in the gym mm-hmm. um, without having to worry about compromising any load on, on the mountain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my training, I guess, goal for this next 10 days leading into my next on-snow block is to kind of get my rapid fire movements going again. So I won't be lifting super heavy. Everything will be quite light. The volume will be reasonably low, but I'll have many sessions throughout the day. Um, and that way I can just try and sharpen up. So I've sort of built all of this strength and power. I've then applied it on the snow and kept it up. But yeah. now I need to kind of reactivate my neural patterns um, mm. so that, again, when that gym focus sort of takes a step aside um, for our next training block on snow, I'm sort of ready. And, and I think as well, uh, I've learned in the last year, um, especially like everyone else, that also the aim of the game is not to get sick. Yes. Yeah. Even if it's not COVID, you're going to have to go through a quarantine process. Like we've got great protocols in place to manage um, infections if something happens. And so you kind of can't push yourself maybe as hard as I would have a couple of years ago um, and borderline overtrain because you don't want to lose days on snow. You don't want to compromise the team. Um, so what, have they, what have they got you on for your, for your nutritional support? So I work really closely with a dietitian um, who's based in Australia, but she comes and travels with us to the games as well. And my diet doesn't really change based from Australia to here. Obviously, I have to supplement um, as we get into deep winter when fresh fruit and fresh veg is a lot more difficult um, and iron, you know, red meat is really hard to come by at that time of the year. So I supplement with with some supplements from um, our organisation and also from True Protein to kind of just make that eating side a little bit easier. We're often eating on the run or we're traveling in the van for eight hours. And um, what's actually quite funny about that is we we were just talking about this the other day around food safety. Um, Obviously we've got young boys traveling with us, cooking out of home for probably the first time. Um, (laughs) We were talking about like understanding that sometimes it's really nice to be like quite fancy with food and but to take the pressure off and stick to what you know works and what works for you. And I know that this is going to sound really funny, but sometimes when, when you're traveling to all these crazy places and you're on the, on the road in the van and you don't have much, um, sometimes going to McDonald's can be the best option because it's deep fried. You know that generally the food safety is pretty good. You don't want to do it every, every day, but as a, you, you kind of go like, I know that I can have a, you know, cheeseburger or whatever it is and I'm not going to fall flat on my face no you're right because I felt like that when I was traveling through China if you went to the Maccas yeah yeah, they've fried everything yeah and and it's no different in Austria like I mean for us obviously Switzerland and Austria like Europe's an expensive place in the world but Switzerland's so expensive compared to Austria you know you you don't pay more than like 15 euro for a schnitzel and and beautiful like petersilian potatoes you know anywhere in austria like schnitzels are always that price yeah and we all got here in the first night had a schnitzel and it was deep fried so we knew it was safe and it was great and it was familiar and it didn't cost an arm and a leg but we're doing the we're doing the um the physical work to kind of not have to worry about that side of things so like i said it's it's sort of it's a bit of a game and you have to play it. You don't make those decisions every day. So for us, we generally stay in apartment style settings so that we can cook for ourselves. It also means that when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're starving, you can just eat something rather yeah. than being tied to a hotel. Um, you know, we were training alongside the Canadian team in Susfay and they've got about 30 people in their program. So it's massive. Wow. And 
they were at the same hotel with the same food on a four or five day rotation for three weeks and they were just like off it, you know, at the end. Whereas we, you know, I, and I'm someone that um, if I don't know where my next meal's coming from, I get a bit stressed. So having the little, um, having the the things that I can, you know, control, like having protein shaker with some powder in my bag and some bars and things like that on the go is great. But also knowing that I feel comfortable going to a roadside, like the roadside diners here in Austria are fantastic. They've got a full normal spread for not much money um, on the side of a truck stop. Like it's so great, the food quality. Um, you kind of, it's it's so much easier than, than yeah, traveling through China. I mean, for us in China, we're, we're, we're very prepared for China. We go there in a couple of weeks where um, we're taking our own food with us, like camping meals and things. So um we've had a lot of support from our dietitians to plan for that because they don't want us to eat anything unless you can peel it. They don't want you to, to eat it. And and for me, I'm like, well, we're only going there for four or five days. Like it's not worth it. Yeah, no, definitely not. I think, I think the boys are a little bit devastated that they're going to miss out on Chinese dumplings, but <laughs> I think that it makes you go, yeah, but we're not here. We're not going to have a cultural experience there. We're going to be shuttled from the hotel to yeah. To the venue, back to the hotel, to the airport, kind of thing. We have so, we have Ding Tai Fung in Chatswood. Yeah. <laughs> Tell them <laughs> <laughs> they can have it when they get home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, are, are you going to China to check the venue out? Is that why you're going there? Yeah. So we haven't. They haven't held a ski cross or border cross like proper event in mm-hmm. China yet. So um, We've had the bobsled guys there the last three weeks doing their Olympic test event, and we go with the snowboard cross team um, for a World Cup. So it's kind of so who makes the course in China then if they've never had one before? Who do you have? I've never asked this question. Does someone go around the world and literally set up the Olympic courses for you guys? So they're in China. Yeah, there's a there's a team of builders. Yep. who um great you know, job yeah i mean look at charles beckinsale you know jindabyne boys building world-class terrain parks all over the world um you know not only in Trebo and perisha but he's just done a, a camp in switzerland he's doing world cups in canada like that is a job that you go and you are the designer and they do a lot of site visits in the summer and things yeah. um so yeah there's there's people going there to sort of build the, the track and also upskill the locals on how to how to do the yeah. course maintenance and and that's the thing with, with us they need to have a testament because they need to see how we all operate as well what sort of space do we need at the top of the hill what sort of space do we need at the bottom of the hill um because we've got like i said we've kind of got pit crews with us to manage skis and yeah. it's it's how literally big, how, like a how, formula one how big is your team like you got your so dietitian you've got your dietitian so, you've got your We've, well, on the on the ground here in Europe, we have a physio, a coach, and a ski technician or a serviceman, and then three athletes. So it's six of us. Okay, but oh, that's Sean as well. That, Is Sean yeah, so, with you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Sean's here. Externally from that, um, the individual athletes uh, are a bit different because the boys are so young and they're quite new. They they're sort of just getting established in who their circle of trust is. I think I think is the best word for it. Yeah. I work very closely with my dietitian, Ali, and my sports psychologist, uh, Stacy, and then also my strength and conditioning coach, John Marsden. So I've got this sort of external ring as well around me to support me, and I'm in contact with them all the time. Um, and it's sort of like an ever evolving. Yeah, you are very looked after compared to a couple of the other athletes that we've spoken to. Define looked after carefully yeah. because right. I cho- I chose to to work with these people. I don't. Uh, not everything's free. 
that you know this is and <laughs> and this is this is for me um you know if I expect people to invest in me I need to invest in them so I sort oh. of have built relationships uh throughout this journey you know I've been doing this for a really long time now about 11 years and I learned very quickly on on what was important and what were the non-negotiables and for me solid strength and conditioning is a non-negotiable and someone that's willing to work remotely and able to work remotely so he lives in Sydney. Actually, no, he doesn't. He lives in Mollymook now. He just moved. Um, uh-huh. And my sports psychologist lives in America. Um, uh-huh. Ali Miles, my dietitian, lives down um, in Melbourne. Like, you know, everyone's kind of scattered all over the place. But you as the athlete have actually got, and this is doesn't matter if you're on scholarship with an institute or not, there's actually a lot of resources available, but people only see resources as cash. And that's the downfall, I think, of a young athlete is that you go, oh, I don't get anything, you know. And it's like, well, actually, you have access to all of this stuff and you would have to pay for that stuff if you don't use it. And there's also stuff that you can use, you know, for free. The internet's amazing now. Like we've, like when when people are like the boys, you know, they're so young and they ask a question and you go, oh, my God, just Google it. Like we've got something in our hand. <laughs> um, find the answer so it's it's been a process for me to to establish this network well but and that's, so the, that's solid yeah and that's the thing as well that you know the the people the younger athletes they're young they're just starting out whereas you exactly. you know you, you're not as old as us but um you yeah. know you kind of it's a progression isn't it through life and go they're my non-negotiables these are the people that I need around me and yeah and how lucky like to the two boys that, that have actually been with you like I think it's lucky for me as well like okay. you know, for me okay. I um I definitely have in my career I've had many times where it would have been really easy to hang up my competitive ski boots and I think for me in how I determined my my success in my career um, probably 10 years ago it would have been a, only about results and now it's so much more about the community impact and um, for me if I was to walk away after 2018 and there was no one in the pipeline like to me I've failed and that's well, like this is for me I think this is a sport especially ski cross for, for me in my opinion this sport of ski cross um, it's still young enough in the winter sport world that that you know I've been doing it for 10 years and I'm still going and most of the community that are doing it at the top level are still going, you know, for a long time. And in Australia, we have the ability to train all of the elements of ski cross um, from a young age. And now we're doing that for for the kids throughout their their junior racing programs. And there is so much opportunity for success in this sport that I can't, you know, when I hear people go, oh, I'm too scared, I don't want to do it. I sit there going like, what? No. It's the most fun thing ever, you know, and, and I would be lying if I said that, that that every day at training or every week that I'm there's a moment where I'm like, oh, my God, this is so hard. You know, in the gym, you're doing the work. It can get quite monotonous. And then you do a run in a track or you do a training session on snow that's got something to do with your actual sport and you go, this is why I do it. You know, I love yeah. this. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I get to meet all these people and I get to go all these places and, it's such a privilege. And and in Australia, we have we've got the mountains that you can actually design like ski across and board across um courses on. You, you don't need the length, you don't need you just we've certainly got the terrain. I mean, yeah. I often I often whip up uh what's a tea bar at Perisher and they've got a little board across little skiers crossing there, you know, beside um, the you know, um Sun Valley. Sun Valley oh, Sun tea Valley. bar. Yay. Sun yeah. Valley tea bar. They have the kids are like, okay, we'll race you. And I'm like, radio, let's go. And it's okay. one of my favorite things to do. And I'm like, and then I get down the bottom, I'm like, oh, holy shit, my, my heart is in my, but I'm like, let's do it again. 
I know I can go faster on that turn. So I kind of get, and that's just my own competitiveness. Kind of always amazed. We've got a mate that used to be on the circuit and everywhere my husband and I kind of travelled to. Have you been here? I'm just amazed that the places you guys go, like you just smash it out, don't you? Like do you go to all those little towns all through Austria and everything? Like you seem to, like, you know, like... I think now um, I actually, this is so great. So one of the boys asked me this question yesterday, uh, sorry, the day before in the car. And he said, do you think when you retire, you'll go on a ski holiday? And I was like, hell yeah, I'll go on a ski holiday. And I was like, yeah, like we go to all these places and you go to the race run, to the hotel, and then you leave. So we don't actually get to experience the whole place, you know, to its full capacity. Um, So, you know, and I've like, people especially people in Australia who you know look to going overseas and they go to Japan like I've never been to Japan (laughs) and people go what you get to sample all the places and go wherever I go in the world I always go "Mm, wouldn't come back here or definitely will come back here you get to do that sort of first-hand thing and that you know exactly where you'll go back to yeah, exactly. Um, so I've, I'm really fortunate about that. And and like I said, you know, with doing this and having this opportunity or this privilege to do this, um, you you establish a great network of people over here. And and mm-hmm. I, you know, they're they're my friends. They're they're my family when when I'm on the road for six months of the year. So you can't just cut that off. Yeah. Um, like something that I'm really trying to to. I guess, talk to a lot of our younger, like, and I'm talking like early teen kids who we have a high drop, dropout rate, especially in girls of skiing and any sport in Australia. Yeah, it is. is. That this is, skiing is, it's a sport for life. You know, that it isn't just a sport for a career. Um, you can have a career, whether that's as an athlete or as a coach or as an instructor or in administration or in any element of a ski resort operating capacity. I mean, there's so many opportunities for a job, but this is a sport for life. So if you were to hang up your boots and you walked away, well, you probably haven't done the sport it's justice. You know, yeah. I, we were talking the other day and I was saying, yeah, next season when I'm in Australia, um, I've been inspired by a friend of mine this year who went and did his APSI telemark coaching <laughs> course. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never telemarked. I would love to go. And that's the best way to learn is going doing the courses as well. So You need to speak to Todd Gelly. Tom Gellar, yeah. yes, he. we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. He's your guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's amazing. I, there's yeah. so many elements of, of snow sports to learn about. Like you don't know, I don't think you ever know everything and um, that's what I love about the mountains. It's such a humbling thing, you know. And it's interesting to see how many people go into the backcountry, you know, because yeah, so, you know, you've got the skill and everything and you're like, I love the mountains and then you're, going to the backcountry one day yeah yeah for me I I've done done only a little bit of backcountry skiing but last year during our first COVID winter um because we never knew if we'd get overseas and compete um if we'd even get on the ski resort the next week kind of thing um I improved my my backcountry ski setup and basically saw any time on snow is a good day you know for for some ski cross training and I did so much backcountry skiing and and that's what happened I had this absolute you know I fell back in love with my sport um and these and these other elements and it's certainly made my skiing and my racing better because I can focus on it and I know that I can also enjoy Mm. the sport Um, your mental health doesn't it like yeah and I can spend time with my family doing it and my husband who is ski touring way quicker than I am (laughs) 
<laughs> like so. Uh, well, he's a cross country skier. Like <laughs> yes, so, yeah, and so not ben berries ben. either, as I called them. That's not very nice. Yeah, ben <laughs> to, um, we call them scrogonators. Um, they <laughs> went to the 2010 Winter Olympics for cross-country skiing and retired quite prematurely um, but has still stayed really engaged with the sport and for us that's our date day. You know, we go ski touring whenever we can and spend time with each other or with our friends and it's just the best. It's yeah, so good. amazing. It's amazing. So, so when you do get to um, a race day, back to, the, back to the Olympic focus, far out, I can't believe. Can you believe you've got the Olympics coming up? Did you ever think it was not going to happen because of the world um, we were in? Were you always preparing? Were you always like, okay? I was always preparing. I certainly threw myself into training when we went into lockdown um, in March 2020. Yeah. Uh, and when Tokyo was postponed... I don't know. I kind of was, and again, we like, you know, there's still so many things that could happen between now and February, but um, you have to go full steam ahead. Like it's going to happen and you don't want to rock up being unprepared. But when they, when they started postponing the Tokyo games, I was like, well, there's a lot of indoor venues at the summer Olympics, like outside of the figure skating and the the long track and the ice hockey, everything else is outdoors. Yeah. sports. So then it was for me it was more like will this happen in china <laughs> it's an interesting landscape it's an interesting time to be traveling and um you know like i said i'm just trying to prepare as best as i can and uh so you prepared your body so your head your head space like when you're racing because it's quite because you are against three other people or well in the olympics yeah do you, do you have a certain amount of aggression or do you have a or do you have to be really level-headed like where do you go when you're in yeah. <laughs> i think that there's no correct recipe um each individual is different so you know um a pretty basic sports psychology term that i learned 100 years ago is about the inverted u of arousal and there's always an ideal state for someone and 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 someone's ideal state might be higher or lower than someone else's and something could push you over the edge or maybe you find yourself not quite g'd up enough um it's an interesting concept for me i've found given my experiences that I just need to be this weird mix of relaxed yeah. and very present um, and not and not overcomplicate things. You know, I ha- I'm someone, like I said, I, I get stressed if I don't know where my next meal is coming from. So I tend to <laughs> um, catastrophize a little bit and if I'm getting stressed. And so managing stresses and, and remaining focused on what it is that you need to execute, um, it's a fun place to be in that, that flow state for me. And it's rare that you find it, but when you do, you have to roll with it. Yeah. Um, recreating it can be challenging, but we practice it all the time. Um, and like I said, like, you know, someone, if you you'd asked me that 10 days? years ago, Sorry. Well, you kind of you kind of can't. You, you kind of have to observe yourself when you feel that you're in it and then make note yeah. of what happened. You don't try and replicate the exact recipe, but you identify with what, what the feelings were and, and recreate that, that, that intrinsic feeling. Um, like how, like if you had your race tomorrow, at what point do you start? Is it 24 hours before you start sort of going right? Like how do you prepare mentally? Do you do you go more serious from the day or the, the how do you do it? For me, I try and train the way that I race. So there's not much difference to my approach in a training situation to as a race situation. I mean, you know, a training situation 
like if I'm if I'm kind of goofing around with our staff and having a joke and trying to keep it lighthearted and then I went into a race and was like, don't talk to me, I'm being really serious, like you're not mm-hmm. going to have the same outcome that you've been preparing for for the last six months. Yeah. So I try and recreate a similar kind of process, whether it's the process might just be from putting my goggles on my head to knowing that, okay, I'm getting into the Stargate, that I'm like the goggles on and I'm focused on what I need to do. Um, it might be that how I do up my buckles. It's not that there's a way, but there's just a process of things that you go through and it becomes second nature. And you, for us, when we're racing, um, because we, we, we train with our competitors all the time, because the only time you get to, to race is racing. We, we sort of have been working with the Canadians and the Austrians and the Swiss for the last couple of weeks and the Swedish. And, uh, you have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a, we have a great community. Like this community is amazing. You can't stuff around because the consequences of being on the track and racing with other people are just as high as when you're in a race. So you can't, you know, you can't do a 70% run because it's not safe to hit a jump at 70%. You might not meet the landing, you know, there's all those sort of things. So it's sort of a good rehearsal that you get. You can have a goof around on the T-bar or do whatever it is that you want to do in the lead up. But when you're when you're in the start gate, it's it's time and you're focused. And for me, I try and just remain as present as I can um, so that I'm I'm controlling the controllables, which for me is myself. I have no influence over those other people. Yeah. However, I can, you know, put myself in positions that will make my competitors slow down or, you know, change their line or something like that. So that's the racing training. Yeah, so what's the most important part of the race? The start? It, every race is different, I guess. Like, I think the most important part of the race is getting through each round in first or second place to get through to the next one. You know, yeah. there's so many elements that if you if you get if you get so focused on just the start or just this feature or just this jump, like there's so many other elements. Those elements they go past so quickly. Um, it's the it's the entire run, and it's and it's also, I think, about recovering from errors and so for me I um I got injured last year at the third world cup of the season so my season was cut incredibly short so I spent um my time in quarantine and then when I was out of quarantine at home watching all of the ski racing on tv and snowboard and everything because I needed to keep my mind focused and learn I needed to learn and the best thing that I that I learned from this process was that the best in the world in my sports male or female they make mistakes all the time, but it's the people that don't go and slash the other three tires when one tire is flat mm-hmm. that will excel mm-hmm. and they recover from errors and everyone does it because we're human. So not. That would have been a really good use of your time. Like I, yeah, absorbing all that. That's really good. Well, I think for me, like I said before, any, it would have been really easy to go, you know what? I've dislocated my elbow. It's shit. I'm done. Like, oh, poor me. Woo is me. And I was like, I don't want a participation ribbon. I'm not going there for my jacket. I've I've done two. I've got two jackets. I don't want to go just for the jacket. I want this to be my best possible performance. The result will be what the result will be. I just want to perform my best. So this can be a learning opportunity or it can be, you know, I don't want to watch ski racing because I'm jealous that everyone's there. Well, obviously yeah. I was jealous that everyone was there, but I I got back on snow, you know, the last three weeks with my competitors and it's like I never left. And that to me means that it was very valuable. Where where does that um, motivation come from? Like, obviously, you're you're self motivated. Have you always been like that? I definitely wish that I had the mode, not the motivation, but just the discipline that I have now. Ten years ago, my sure my career would look so different. <laughs> um, that's just learning, I think. But 
for me, you know, I am intrinsically motivated, but also, like I said, I don't want to just be another participant. Um, I want to have impact. I want to inspire people. Um, and I want that impact not just to be on our community in Australia. I want it to be all over the place. And, and for me, it's my job and I want to do a great job. I want to, I want to walk away one day with, with knowing that I'd left no stone unturned and, and being really proud of the efforts and proud of the impact that I'm having. Um, That's what makes me show up. That's why you're an Olympian with that attitude. Do you just sometimes go, wow, I'm an Olympian? (laughs) You know what's so funny about this? Um, I guess when you, when you, for me, I I always try and surround myself with people who are going to make me better. So my, my closest friends, most of my friend group, um, are in the same boat, you know, we're all Olympians or they're high performers in whatever their field is. So when it comes to the Olympian thing, like at, at one stage, the romance kind of left maybe a year or two into, into my first Olympics because mm-hmm. it became an expectation, not a celebration. Ah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. You know, you it, that was, that became your standard kind yeah, of thing. Like yeah. if you don't make, yeah. if you don't go to the Olympics, it's kind of like, um, you know, within my friend group, like, you know, yeah. I've got world champions in my friend group and, and all this sort of stuff. So um, what's interesting about that, though, is that that kind of ruined my first Olympic experience. Yeah, okay. You went to, we actually haven't mentioned this yet. So you went to Sochi in 2014 and then you went to 2018 Pyeongchang. Because you've got your World Cups, your World Champs and then your Olympics. So the Olympics are the top? Yeah. I think, I mean, they're the top, but they're also not. Yeah. Um, so mm. world championships and Olympics, so Olympics happens once every four years and world championships happens every second year. Mm-hmm. And only um, the top 32 people in the world get to go to the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. But, for example, let's say Team Austria has eight men, only four of them can go. So it's a reduced field um, mm-hmm. in some ways. So it's an interesting concept. So it's like the best of the best of the best kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's a similar thing at world championships as well. Now they don't have such a selective, um, they don't cap it at just the best 32 in the world in world championships. They open it up to, um, to other nations. So sometimes you might see nations that don't compete on a world cup at a world championships. Um, to me, I think nothing would ever replace an Olympic medal, you know, like that is, it's the one time that your sport is in the limelight on a global stage. It's something that you dream about, you know, when you're a kid and yeah. you know, it's it's like it's the pinnacle. But if I remove the emotion from that, um, if I was to win an overall crystal globe, which means that you were the most consistent across the whole season and we've got 16 World Cups in a season, um, that would be massive. Yeah, it would um, be. That's, yeah. that's not just showing up on one day, oh, four years. Yeah. That's being consistently the greatest. Now, I've, I mean, to any of those, I haven't clo- been close to world champion. I haven't been close to an Olympic champion. I haven't been close to an overall World Cup champion. But that is the aspiration for me. Like that is, I mean, God, imagine if you got all three. What a trifecta. Oh, there's, is there any people that have done it? We've got Matt and Laura who are, got the Crystal Globes at the moment. But Yeah, um, and Scotty. Um, oh, yes. I I mean, from Australia, no. I mean, Jackie Cooper was the winningest aerial skier ever and she never got an Olympic medal, you know. Like yeah. I think it shows that there is, that's what's so cool about sport, like yeah. anything can happen. Yeah. Even more so for ski cross, 
Um, that's why I believe ski cross does so well um, at the Winter Olympics on TV because, you know, mm-hmm. old mate from like Cooper Pedy can turn on the TV and have no idea what's going on on the sport and understand that the person that crosses the finish line first won. So it's really approachable. Yeah. It's really easy yeah. to understand. I mean, yeah, everybody yeah. can kind of relate to it because it's like Melbourne Cup. You know? <laughs> yep. um, I was going to say, so TV coverage, mm-hmm. you get a lot of it, like because World Cup is huge in Europe, so ski cross is big in Europe as well. Thankfully this season um, and last season, we have most of the events uh, for freestyle and snowboard will be live streamed on the Snow Australia YouTube channel, yeah, which is massive. So um, not every event, but almost every event. And uh, that's that's so awesome, bringing snow sports closer to the community. Um, hopefully that, you know, changes in years to come. Um, but, yeah, in Europe, I mean, ski cross is, is really getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, there's talk that we're going to actually merge in t- from a freestyle discipline into an alpine discipline, um, which I think would be so great for our sport because and what, what would you back off what them. Would you, what would you mean by that? So currently... Uh, ski cross is a freestyle discipline. So we are bundled with me- uh, moguls and aerials and park and pipe, and mm-hmm. they are all judge sports. <laughs> we are not a judge sport. Oh, yeah. um, so that's probably the biggest difference. And obviously those all have acrobatic elements and we try not to go upside down. <laughs> yeah. um, for us, most of the community comes from an alpine racing background. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's how it makes sense to move it. Yeah. Is there a push from every like um, country to make that happen? Look, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I was sort of read some articles from the meetings that they had at our international federation a couple of weeks ago, saying that like that was sort of the inclination that they were leading to. Um, I, for me personally, I think it's a great thing. It means that we can have more exposure of kids yeah. to the sport at a younger age and um, increase the lifespan of the sport I mean we're really fortunate our tour is sponsored by Audi like we've got great coverage on TV here in Europe massive in Asia like the Chinese love it um Mm. it's just going gangbusters and it's only going to get better and better so I think it's a it's a great move um but I it's an interesting one you know yeah I, I guess for for me in the past like my parents found it really hard to watch you know we used to be on Eurosport but we weren't always on Eurosport you know they'd record the TV um you know to make sure that they didn't miss it and like the the snooker would be on or something yeah (laughs) they move it alpine we have to wear the suit so we we already kind of wear the suits oh yeah so this is what I mean so our sport has really it's really going back towards the alpine roots um so we we still have to wear a two-piece suit but it is tight like a race suit yeah. Um, and the reason for that is like, you know, we're racing for gold. You know, we're talking about shaving off hundreds of a second. Like, why would you want to be in baggy ski pants for that? Yeah. yeah. There was a big, big movement about 10 years ago, really fighting that, saying, no, we're freestyle, we're not alpine. And mm. it's like, yeah, but we are talking about shaving hundreds off here. So yeah, yeah. why would you spend, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars on ski wax and time in the ski room on your skis if you're going to wear like a baggy shirt yeah yeah that's right people get attached to the old ways I guess don't they yeah Yeah. and I think now like now um it means that the sport's more accessible if we go to a full alpine suit um, which hopefully we do next year it means that a kid wants to come and do a ski cross race they can just show up they don't have to buy more equipment yeah to make it more accessible so in Australia, um, yeah. then you went to Victoria. Was there a reason? Was there not enough going on in New South Wales for ski cross? Is there a certain, like, should you go somewhere? No, I mean, I think in terms of, like, if someone was to say, I want to be a ski cross athlete, what club should I go to? Yeah. Um, any, any, 
you know, we have we have really five great clubs in Australia at the major ski resorts. And I think, you know, who knows, maybe Selwyn will re, re-engage with their race club community that they used to have when I was a kid and with their reopening next year. But like I said, like we have the capacity all over Australia to, to train all of the elements and to practice all of the elements of ski cross. You don't need a ski cross course to train ski cross. You need a couple of buddies. You need some technical guidance from a coach and the ability to explore. And you need, you need a couple. You need a couple of buddies, a special on some schnitzels and some beer, and last one to the pub is buying. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, like I said, like maybe we need to have like an over 18s version. <laughs> it sounds like when I used to go to Charlotte Pass and there was a tea bar to spa. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, Tia, I mean, we are really lowering the tone here. So sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> but but it's but it's you're right like you know there's like at any moment like this sport is accessible to everyone there are so many elements in in skiing that that you can specialize in um to me ski cross kind of compromises all of them into one um and yeah you get to have a great time too and that's like i said earlier that's the most important thing it should be really really fun so when you finished in like three more olympics you'll be an amazing mentor is that the path that you would like to go down for australian athletes or is it because yeah, yeah definitely yeah um definitely I like I've actually sort of already started that process I think when you um when you become an athlete and you progress through the ranks and you become kind of whether you want to or not you become a leader um yeah. within your sport whether you whether athletes want to or not it's sort of the nat- nature of what happens and you either grab that opportunity with both hands or you resist and I've certainly grabbed it with both hands I think um I don't care if a kid wants to do art music drama or sport you know, if there's someone that that is willing to learn and you feel like you can help them, um, you know, I think that's awesome. And and I look for those opportunities all the time. Um, one th- one thing that's really exciting is that with um, this partnership that I have with Travelex, I actually have created an athlete alliance where we've engaged um, the community of snow sports and in Australia and New Zealand, and we encourage athletes to apply for some financial support, but actually some financial literacy um, and education around how to transact and how to transact on the road. You know, you're going to Russia this week, you're going to China, then you're going here and there and uh, created this great education program. So we got that off the ground in the beginning of October. Um, So we just announcing all the athletes currently, which is really, really exciting. And um, through that, I get to obviously meet all these new athletes and stuff, but I'm also being mentored myself. So it's it's a really cool opportunity. Yeah. Who do, who do you get mentored by? Do you, that's... By the CEO, Darren Brown. Oh. Australia, New Zealand, yeah. That is fabulous. So there's a life after. <laughs> well. Yeah, well, and I think there is, right? Like, you know, you yeah. have to look at the whole person and and I have resisted this for a really long time. Like I, I will always identify myself as an athlete. But I'm also a wife and I'm a sister and I'm a daughter and, um, you know, I've got aspirations to to work in all sorts of areas of the world, um, not just in sport. And, and yeah. you know, you, you deserve to pay, pay your whole self attention. You can't kind of block off one point. Now, in saying that, at the moment, like my my blinders are on a bit and, and I am focused on the next couple of months. But I know that I've got things in the, in the mix for, for sort of April um, to kind of kick off and re-engage some conversations and reassess and decide, you know, what I do next, whether I continue being an athlete or maybe I do a dual career and do something else and be an athlete or maybe I retire. I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> the focus. It's a really, you've got a really great mix. It's really amazing. Like, it, I can see you just so 
super focused here, but you've got you're really calm. Like all all our Olympians that we have spoken to have got this underlying calm uh, amongst them. Like you know, it, we wish we could tell people on the Saturday sport to have that calm. You know, they're not Olympians. You're in under twelves. Division, but like <laughs> parents on the sidelines, yeah. Like, I, yeah, but I think, I think, um, I mean, everyone, I think everyone has their moments, and um, I'm sure <laughs> you know, we've got um, even in ski cross right now, um, in the last year to 18 months, all of my ex teammates have all had children, so they're going to be in inter schools all at the same time, and I can't wait oh, to see no. that. Oh my, I'm, that is the best. <laughs> oh my gosh, look out, Threadbo, or wherever yeah. the schools are held out. Into schools, and I think, um, you know, into schools has changed a lot since I was a kid. Um, it was, you know, one of the only like race series, apart from a couple of others, that you could do as a kid to get some race exposure. And I think, you know, it's a it's a it's a really great great tool and. It's a pathway into the sport. It's yeah. not the pinnacle of the sport. And I think people need to really remember that. Mm. Um, you know, it's like it's now, you know, got people that are, we've got kids that are missing out on going to training camps or competing in New Zealand at like fist races and stuff in Alpine because they've got interschools on. And I'm like, interschools is designed to get people involved in the sport. Mm. It's an exposure point. It's not the pinnacle of the, of the sport. Yeah. And um, I think I think there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that we can educate the community i don't want I, you know i don't want to see it disappear because I, like i said i think it's great it's so great for our local tourism industry i mean we we rely yeah. on it um especially in new, in new south wales it's become so big yeah. um but but yeah i think there, there is a little too much expectation and pressure on something that is not even the same as the real deal not even close the rules aren't even the same oh, um, wow. so i think i think yeah like i mean you know they do ski cross but they they do one at a time it's like a time trial that's probably why I've never um, really noticed it, you know, because I thought there's yeah. no set up. I've never ever seen a set up on the hill for a ski cross. But yeah, yeah. ignorant times. So I, I think in my in my opinion, like yeah, I think there's a time and a place for it. And if your kids are actively in, engaged in a race club and they're pursuing a high performance pathway, like I don't know why you're entertaining it. Yeah. That's it. And that's just my opinion. Um if your kid does race club and they really enjoy it and inter schools is what they really enjoy, then great, do it and enjoy it. But don't try and dabble in the other side too. Yeah, race clubs are the way to go, aren't they? It's really good for people to hear, though. Like it's really important, you know. Sometimes people don't want to say, and it's not helpful if people don't actually say it. You know. Yeah. Like I like I, you know, I have really fond memories of racing into schools, and you get to travel around to all the other resorts if you get to go to nationals and stuff. Like it was really really fun. But as I got an older teenager, it became quite a big disruption into my you know, training and, and aspirations that I had for, for my skiing. Um, and I, yeah, like someone else probably could have gone in my place and had a better experience than I did in hindsight. But, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty vision, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, we can't wait to um, watch you on TV and um, release this interview so people can listen to everything about you. Um, before you finish, what, what is your favourite, what's your favourite resort to ski at? <laughs> I'm in it right now. So Salbach, Hinterglem, Leogang area. Yeah, the ski circus here is just amazing. That's where I did my um, ski instruction. Oh, awesome. We're back in time. Yeah, it's awesome, yeah. Well, and and it's just, it's so big here now. I mean, they've just connected Fieberbrunn, which is this little ski resort next door. So now the ski circus has grown even more and um, it's affordable it's great for families. It's great for people that don't have kids as well. Um, I mean, yesterday 
afternoon I went to a really fancy hotel up the road for an hour of Sammy time and had a wellness day and it was just fantastic like it's so every there's so something for everybody around here I just love it um that's I mean that's why we're here for our training break it means that we can do our training and then go and enjoy ourselves after and what about what about your Australian resort I mean Guthaga is always going to be my home (laughs) Yeah. Um, I am biased though. My parents uh, own the Guthaga in 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 Guthaga, so for what? me, I love skiing home and visiting my parents. Yeah, do they really? I, we, that's yeah. I did not know. Did not. We, that is um. Well, we can't do it anymore. But we used to go there all the time for the Guthaga Inn pub, but the lunch, yeah. which was amazing. But yeah, yeah, they they stopped they stopped doing lunch around COVID. It just got quite out of control. And then in managing people and things, that their, their business is is a bed and breakfast and yes. dinner, didn't bed and breakfast and yeah. they do it really, really well. And the experience has changed there and the rooms are beautiful. I often go up just for dinner just to see what scraps are left. <laughs> um, but like, I just love skiing in Guthrie. I think it's the most unre- unrelated, uh, underrated um, place on the mountain and all natural snow. And uh, it's just Don't the best. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> you know, how many times have you actually skied parachute? I reckon I've skied it four times. <laughs> <laughs> me too because it's always you've just got to be there at the perfect time and yeah my first my very first year of fist um oh my god I don't even know when that was a million years ago um we did GS training down parachute that was the last time wow yeah. wow that would have been amazing that would yeah, have been- it was cool it was scary yeah <laughs> coming, into the, coming into the road at the bottom yeah <laughs> now what have you got mother-in-law but that's oh, true. We train on um we train full length on the ridge, we train mother-in-law, we train oh. Zali's, we train yeah. I train I think the best training hill actually on the whole mountain in Perisher is Lidna, which is right above the burning log. Um because mm. of the the angle of the of the face of it, it doesn't really catch much uh much sun. So the snow, like we had World Cup conditions there this year, training this year, this winter. It was just so fantastic and no one there. Yes. Yeah. Love it, love it. Oh, God, at least we can train, hey, in Australia. We're yeah. so lucky. We're so lucky. We are really, really lucky. Yeah, and I think the snow community is getting better amongst it. It's getting more inclusive. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people have, have probably felt over the years like that the transition with Vale coming in and buying up all of, all of the resorts, it feels like, it does um, has, been a, has, has been a bit, a bit sad. But the opportunities for skiing to be accessed by everybody has grown tenfold. You know, you can now buy an Epic Pass, you can ski three resorts in Australia and ski overseas. I mean, like for a family, it does make the idea of going on an overseas trip more achievable. And then the opportunity to go, oh, well, I've got the pass already. I'll duck down for a weekend or three days or whatever. If there's a, if you know, if there's some cheap com going or something, yeah. um, it is making it more accessible. It's still bloody expensive. Yeah. Um, Especially for you guys. <laughs> Well, but for everybody, I mean, you know, if you're a family going down from Sydney, it's a big trip in the car, you've got to pay accommodation, you've got all these sort of costs. But I think what we have to remember, especially for people like us that are so immersed in this, it's our lives, the snow community is our lives, is for people that are coming to the snow for the first time or the second time or the third time, the holiday starts when the car's getting packed. Mm. So if that experience can be as good as possible until that moment that they get home, like then that's a great spend it's a great experience for that family and and even better if it happens on home soil for us in australia that's true sometimes we haven't spoken to gingerbine our family (laughs) (laughs) we've packed the car i did did have a little thought about the packing of the car and the stress that goes in but yeah (laughs) it is true though the whole the whole experience i i just i grew up skiing 
um, Charlotte Pass. So it's a tiny, you know, up the road. And yeah. and that, but I came from Queensland. So we had to fly to Sydney, borrow ski gear from everyone that we knew in Sydney. Then we'd fly to Cooma because we because it was like back in the day it was really cheap. And then we'd catch a bus from Cooma to Perisha and then we'd get on a ski, a, like the Oversnow to Charlotte's and this was all the way and it was like a mission. <laughs> but when we got there, my dad's like, right, get up, get your clothes on, get your skis on. We're like, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Daddy's like, there's an hour to go. Let's go. Yeah. So it was. But I, but I think that's the whole experience, right? Like, yeah. Like, like for mum and dad in Guthrie, it's the same. Like, you know, they go down, they drive to the car park, they pick you up in their oversnow and take you to the hotel. When a family goes to Falls Creek, they have the oversnow experience. Like, it's all part of it. And yeah. and for us, for us, when you do it all the time, you go like, oh, what a drag. And for someone else, this is a new experience, and it's yeah. super cool, and it should be sold as part. Of, it should be romanticized as part of it. Um, because it's it's not avoidable and uh like I said it's no different than when you see people at the airport I mean an airport travels change a lot now by the way but um you know previously you see people there's kind of two people the people that are like I'm at the airport the holidays started and the people who are like the holidays not started until we're on the plane or till we're off the plane and the, the stress levels and the people that have decided that the holidays started when they're at the airport are having a much nicer experience than the people that are worried about the, the holiday starting, you know, on the other end. That's um, true. So, yeah, I think it's all about how you approach it, right? Like you My can gosh, where were day. you 20 years ago? <laughs> where was that conversation stressed out stressed out in an airport probably <laughs> yeah. I always say that to my husband too like if we're sort of racing down in the snow I go we're on holidays relax mm. everybody we're on holidays yeah. so what would you say to anyone who's thinking of getting into this um ski cross I mean come on over and ask lots of questions and and you know don't be afraid to to explore like there's no way is is the way, right? Like there's no right way to this journey. And um, I think if you if you just get your fundamentals of your skiing right, um, the rest is kind of up to you. Like there's no right way except your way. And I think, um, yeah, like it's it's totally up to the individual. They have the power to, you know, to have the experience that they, that they want to. Yeah, perfect. Perfectly said. Thank you, Sammy, for your time. Yeah, thank you for the bit, bit of Bruce Lee in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, good luck. Good luck. We'll yeah, be uh, we'll be keenly watching. We'll be cheering from Australia in our green and gold. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to to represent our whole, you know, Aussie snow sports community at, at the big stage. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> See ya. Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.